Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Welcome. Becky, how are you? I am so great. And I want to tell you why, because I want to give some context uh, before we embark on this conversation. It is a gift when we are able to take someone's story of something that is so difficult and so tragic that has happened to them, and they have taken that and the goodness that's in their heart and the humanity that's within their soul, and they rise above, I'm teasing something, (laughs) they rise above that and they create hope and change and love and compassion and lifting others up. And I just think anyone who's tuning in right now is just in for an incredible treat because we have two extraordinary women that are on the podcast today. It is my joy to be able to welcome the Rising Above the Storms uh, ambassador team uh, to our podcast. I want to welcome Alphonsine Anderson. She's the founder and executive director of Rising Above the Storms. And Devin Hood, who is a board member and this is an incredible story of hope coming out of something that is absolutely horrific. And it's really from a story about Alphonsine. And I don't want to tell that much because I don't, I don't want to take away, um, you know, that, that from her as she's telling her story. But I want to give a little bit of context about who they are. But Rising Above the Storms um, offers hope to the hopeless by advocating for orphans and promoting education in underdeveloped areas of the world. And this was started, you know, by Alphonsine, who is from Rwanda. She was born there. And during the 1994 Rwandan genocide, she lost her parents two of her siblings, and at 13, she became the parent. And she was literally rising above the storm that was around her to take care of all of these younger siblings who are under the age of 10. And so she persevered, got this great scholarship in the United States and Rwanda. She ends up getting her degree, and she is brilliant. And I can tell from what your degree is, because it was in telecom and engineering and electronics. And she works for Cisco now. And she does this on her free time. And while she was at Cisco, she met our other guest who is also incredible and has a huge heart. So Devin Hood um, is characterized, she characterized herself as, you know, a storyteller at heart with a love for sci-fi and the latest conspiracy theory. Devin, you must really be loving (laughs) America right now. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) And these are like incredible women in tech. And but they're also Devin pushes the boundaries. She's an innovative marketer. Thank you very much. And she has this incredible experience in design and implementing mini first. So she just created this 
I'm just plugging because I think this is amazing. You created this revenue management function at Cisco that delivered over a billion dollars in marketing revenue for the organization. So here you have these two women in tech by who are doing their jobs by day, and then they are pouring themselves into this incredible nonprofit um, who's who on their website says their orphan advocacy mission is to offer unconditional love to those who have had no one to love them. John, we are in for such We're a puddles treat. already and it hasn't started. So Alphonsine, thank you for being Devin, here. thank you for coming into our space and sharing this incredible story. I would, I feel like I gave a little bit of background, um, but I'd like to start with Alphonsine and I really think we should start with you telling the story of Rwanda because I have a Hollywood version in my mind because I have watched Hotel Rwanda many, many times with Don Cheadle. And I remember, and I don't know how much of that has been dramatized, but I remember watching that at the theater and I remember so much ugly crying um, happening within me. And, and the shock, you know, as a Westerner that this actually happened and, and just feeling the injustice and how angry I was that this was happening during modern times. And so can you take our listeners back and just tell us that story and what happened to you growing up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, where you can start uh, is that uh, I can tell you that a Hollywood does not give it a justice. Um, I must confess that I have not watched that movie that is uh, very famous in the U.S. and uh, which is a good thing because then uh, it's a segue for a lot of people to uh, know and understand what happened in Rwanda. So uh, I'm grateful for that to that extent, but I can never imagine that anything would describe what happened because they cannot recreate it. Um, they can imagine and try to dramatized it, like you mentioned, but you cannot recreate what happened. So, uh, and even as I try to uh, just explain is that uh, maybe a book would help better, uh, but what my eyes have seen, what I have been through, I can't imagine any movie uh, would be able to describe it. So, um, yeah, so as you have seen, and uh, I want to say Livers that this is not really something that happened overnight because a lot of people are be like, okay, well, the, the presidential plan was a shutdown and genocide started and and uh, it, it's it was a pre-planned. This was a premeditated. Uh, these people who did it knew what they were doing and they had planned it for a long time. So, um, but just going through all that to where uh, I hear you. Uh, they keep mentioning that you've seen it on TV. I didn't even think that there was a world existing outside of what I was going through. I, I thought that was the end of the world. And and um, But to just be able to live through it, uh, I never, ever want anybody to go through things like that. Not especially younger kids because everything, uh, hate that began even from elementary school where... Uh, I remember where you, they would be, we would be asked for our ethnic groups in, in elementary school where uh, my parents made every single effort to, to uh, say that they, um, to tell us, to try to shield everything from us by saying that 
oh yeah, don't worry, those people don't know what they're talking about. Don't worry, you'll be fine. Rather than it just maybe that's the best way they could do it. So everything happened. They hate the uh, asking people who, who, which ethnic group you belong to being discriminated. Uh, that happened for a long time. So the 1994 that you see in movies, that was uh, the end of uh, something, uh, obvious, a tragic end of something that has been happening deep, deep inside in people's minds and actions. I just have to tell you, I, th- I think we're about the same age because here's the thing I want people to understand is, I mean, this was a genocide of, you know, a- over a half million people. And this happened in modern times. And I-, I think I'm two years younger than you, you know, when I when I look back in that timeline and to think of of that happening and the resilience and that you must have had to employ um, I, I am just, I'm just amazed by it. And I think the word that is, is resonating over and over with, with me is that you're saying this was driven by hate and, and, and the need to divide and the need, to, the need to, to draw a line and parcel people on one side or the other. Anytime we have seen that in history, it has not ended well for those that are drawing the line. And this is a space and a community of love. I mean, we, we, we try to cultivate that here in, in our little space of the world. And so I, I'm really curious about that experience, and I don't want you to go into it if it's too painful, but how did you come out of that? How did you, how could you be um, a light um, during this time for your siblings? And how were you able truly to rise above that storm that was your life? Yeah, no, that is a very good question that has really no straight answer um, that we are able to, uh, that I was able to be able to get out of it. Uh, First of all, uh, the mass, the first thing that was a mass, it was I had no choice. That was the first thing. I mean, uh, I describe my personal story as that uh, my childhood was rushed. I grew up in a in a hurry. That's how I describe it. Um, so going through all that, you just lost parents and and two of your siblings. You are thirteen, and and uh, there's nobody leave alone to um, love you and and uh, be there for you. You don't have anybody to actually ex- uh, explain to you what that ha- what that you know why that happened and and why did you have to go through that like. You know, we tried to find answers to everything. There was no such a thing. So I was not given a chance to be able to negotiate and be like, do I become a a parent to my siblings? Do I pick up pieces and move on? There was no discussion. So if if I look through um, at the beginning of uh, maybe sometime in July, July 4th, it's actually our day where the uh, opposition in Rwanda, which was uh, refugees, Rwandan refugees who have been forced out of a country over the years since the 60s, uh, came and fighting and and stopped the genocide. It was by Rwandans without any international help. Um, and uh, so after that happened, it was like, oh my God, I did, I'm actually alive. I mean, what's, what do, because in the whole time, a person, I was like, there's no end to this. It's death. I mean, when you are left, then you'll be like, 
oh my God, what do I do? This is not something that I have a plan. So whatever comes your way, whatever hits you is what goes. So uh, there was really no chance to negotiate. Uh, and then uh, I, I described this, that my three youngest siblings are my light. Um, they really made life worth living. Uh, and uh, they, I tell them that, I say that they're they're my first rays of sunshine mm -hmm. in this life because moving forward, I pretty much lived life for them. Maybe later in life, now I can do that, say that I live uh, or do things for many more people, but I lived my life for the three of them and they are my greatest gift in this life. There's absolutely no question about it. Goodness, it is just hard to even um, try to step into your shoes. And I know the power of storytelling is, is we're always wanting to experience, but so much of what you explain is just so horrific that I can't imagine. You don't even want somebody to even feel that, you know, because such a painful place that you're at. I, I sense that and Thank you for opening up with us. Could you kind of, you know, obviously it was time. It was, you know, the kids that I'm sure woke up with smiles on their faces, not realizing the light that they're bringing to you. What got you to the place of leaving Rwanda, getting the scholarship? Like what kind of what was like step two of your story um, to where you are at today? Yeah, absolutely. I think what it helped me was that, you know, by the way, this is a funny thing. The first time I was told that I'm smart or that I'm just, it was in the U.S., that was a grad school. I had no idea. I was always top of my class. I was always, I always did well. So, uh, which I call personally a blessing uh, that I was able to really do it in school because if I go back, even to high school, because uh, high school is six years in Rwanda. So when I say it's a six years of elementary school, six years of high school. So when I say high school, I know uh, here in the U.S., you understand the four years. For us, it's six years. So I was kind of in the middle school during the genocide. So I had to continue. Um, so all even in high school, you had to pay tuition and in college. Mm. So if I didn't get a chance to have that knowledge and the capability, I would not have gone to school. So I was really blessed that with, you know, I'm really just want to be humble for that because I'm not saying that I know better than everybody. It was that I was just, I had that knowledge, that ability to be able to do it in school, uh, high school, I got a full college, to co full um, scholarship to college. And then I got it after college, I was hired uh, by the school to be a teaching assistant, which is my first salary and my absolutely memorable experience of my life when I first bought uh, clothes, new clothes for my siblings. Uh, it remains oh the greatest memory of my life when I had my first salary and it took them shopping and they've never had a new thing in their life. And and uh, it remains my greatest memory. Um, so I was able to get a full scholarship to also to grad school right after after college and, and uh, came to the U.S. on a full ride and and it landed in Rochester, which is not, it's, I mean, it's northern and snow and everything, but uh, that's <laughs> really world. what set off, uh, you know, 
the the way and the path, the way for me to get here. Uh, even the job I got at Cisco, which was my dream job to work for Cisco, uh, Cisco hired me through, from grad school because they come on campus. So that really set everything that um, I'm grateful for, but education in everything I say and I think it's it's really top priority for me because of what it's done for me. When I think back, John, to the greatest moments in my life and the ones that have brought me the most joy, I have to tell you, thinking about buying one of my daughters any of their clothes has wouldn't even be in the top million of my greatest moments. And I love that you shared that story because it's a gentle reminder to all of us of the abundance that we are constantly surrounded by in the United States, of the the of the uh, convenience that's around us all the time and the things that are just so readily at our fingertips in such a rich nation and one that's not in conflict. I mean, you have, you just have so many hurdles that it sounds like that you had to overcome and I'm just so inspired by it. And and I, and I want to say, you know, Alphonsine is not just smart. She's Rochester Institute of Technology smart. I mean, this is not just like getting a full ride. I mean, multiple full rides. I mean, she really like carpe diemed this moment and, and her intelligence. And she and I'm just so overjoyed to see you just sitting in the space that you're sitting in right now and 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 the smile that you have on your face when you talk about getting your dream job and so I want to transition into rising above the storms because I just think this is such an interesting path that you've been on and you're, you've graduated, you've been recruited by Cisco, you're in your dream job. When did this concept of this nonprofit start percolating within you? And when did you decide I need to do something about it? And I am ready for that time in my life, which I can imagine probably most of your, for a good portion of your life, it was just survival and taking care of these precious rays of light your siblings and once you felt like okay that's taken care of I need to do something to get back tell us that story absolutely so the first I've always um here's how I've seen myself and again when I mentioned this I'm not be like oh I would done better than anybody but yeah, and something that I say with the humility is that along supporting my three younger siblings uh, in that life and uh, condition, somehow along the way, I met two other young boys who have lost their parents at some point before after the genocide uh, or during the genocide. Um, and uh, they had dropped out of school. Uh, they didn't have a place to be and and uh, so I, I say this again with the humility, at any given time, uh, even in a grad school in Rochester, I was supporting five kids, not just the three kids. Um, so I had a five full-time, I mean, kids in school. I was, you know, in school myself. So um, so that's that's where the path of rising above the stones really came. I was like, okay, if and by the way, all of them have graduated college and and uh, two of them grad school and and um, now independent. But I I'm I was like looking at him like if I can do this by myself. So if I 
rallied and got other people to join me. And there will be two of us and we can support 10 people, three people, 15. So that's really where the idea that uh, started and and uh, I really got down to do it. It was in 2012. I had been at Cisco for a year and a half. Um, and uh, that's where I started. It just came up with the name and I did everything on my own because I didn't have really a lot of money to invest to get the nonprofit started. But uh, that's really what uh, got me to uh, wanting to do it. I could be, I could see myself bringing more people along who are willing to uh, help where we can be able to change. Uh, if I can change one life, five lives, other people, we can change more lives. So that's how uh, Rising Above the Storms came to be. And as I figured out the name of the, of, uh, the that I would give to the nonprofit, I was like, I can't find a better name to describe my personal story. So Rising Above the Storms was my own personal story with the goal to just give people hope, share what I have done, what got me where I am, which is uh, I'm by definition an orphan. Um, I have been able to get here grateful because of education and my personal story can give uh, really hope to people. So combining of all that, that's where I really started uh, rising above the storms and eventually down the road uh, started just recruiting more people to be able to help me with the vision and mission. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm, I'm having trouble just even processing the things that you're, you're bringing to us and just so much reverence and appreciation for your openness today. But I just think of like, as you share that story, who could not be drawn in and say, I want to be part of this. Like I want to have that kind of a legacy that you got to have personally of just literally changing the course of kids' lives that have no hope, you know, and don't have clothes on their backs. So I just think of like, you know, you were very much placed in the exact spot you needed to be in the middle of this wonderful organization, Cisco, surrounded by brilliant minded people that could help you take that to the next level. And so I'd love to hear kind of the next transition. I want to bring Devin into the conversation too. Um, Devin's, you know, we read her intro, but you've got this brain for innovation and pushing the marketing borders. And you have this story that literally I can't even like process my emotions. I'll probably process them when we hit end on this today. Talk to me about when you guys met and like what that was like and how you got connected, Devin, because I'm, I'm just so curious about what happens next. Yeah, it's, it's actually interesting because um, the first time I had heard Alphonsine's name was when Alphonsine won the um, Cisco um, bridge contest, which basically allowed her nonprofit, she told her story, her nonprofit story to the rest of Cisco. And I saw her um, and obviously was in the background on the marketing side, working on part of her campaign as part of Bridge to Possible. Um, so I got to see from the background, but I'd never really met her and saw her on stage and obviously heard her story and was amazed um, by that. Then there was a call to arms from a another woman, a friend of mine that said that often seen as looking for board members and would love the opportunity to have someone with a marketing background. And I think I 
jumped through that email so fast um, <laughs> that I scared <laughs> my <laughs> colleague on the other end, sending my resume, sending her ideas I had about what Alphonsine and I could do together. Um, and I was so, I, I really was pushing, you know, our friend here to, to get me with, with Alphonsine. I said, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll work nights and weekends and any time you need. So um, Alphonsine and I finally connected. And I think I spent half of the call crying um, because of the, the stories that she had told me and frankly, just connected with her on a human level. I mean, Alphonsine is the type of person, not, not only is she like this for her siblings, and with the kids in Rwanda and with all children, but just as a human being, th there's never a moment that Alphonsine isn't humbled by all of the work that everyone will give to her and give to the organization. Um, she's always filled with kindness and kind words and always worried about you as an individual and as, um, as a person. Um, she's constantly checking up on me to make sure that I'm okay. I'm a single mom, I have two boys and it has been rough the last nine months with COVID. She is, it is never about her. It is always about me and how are you doing? How are you holding up? Um, she truly just has a heart of gold, to be honest. And, and that hasn't wavered or changed um, in the last two years that we've gotten to know each other. Hey friends. We always say community is everything and we really believe it. This podcast is designed to start conversations, provide inspiration and hacks to help you do more for your mission, but your voice is the one that's been missing at the table. That's why we've completely reimagined the We Are For Good community to serve you even better. We've created an exclusive online network for our listeners so you can connect with new friends, keep the conversations going and growing after every episode. And oh yeah, it's completely free. Think of this network as the after party for every podcast episode and a place to turn when you feel stuck or need help or feedback from others who have a passion for growing their nonprofit missions too. But friends, hear me, this only works with you included. So come on over, pull up a chair and join us. We can't wait to connect. It's free. Join us at weareforgood.com slash hello. See you inside. Once a nurturer, always a nurturer. I have a feeling she will be loving on everyone around her your entire life. And it just seems like you both are hardwired for empathy and hardwired to see the little guy and to make sure that that they just don't get lost. And I and I love the storytelling aspect of how you were able, Alphonsine, to go into what I think is probably gotta be the most painful part of your life and replay it over and over in a way that draws people in, that allows them to see the, the pain and the vulnerability and, um, and, but also the potential and how we can all pour into it to make life different for someone else. And I love, I have to give Cisco a shout out because I love how the company has encircled this concept and I and we found a blog that on the Cisco blog that tells this story and I will tell you when I saw it there's a photo on there of Alphonsine I'm already like getting choked up um like as I look at it there's a photo of Alphonsine with her siblings and they're all grown up and to have you say that they've all gone through college and it's just like they're smiling and it just gives me so much hope and I really value the corporate responsibility that is within Cisco to promote this nonprofit, to galvanize support for it. And I love 
this gift that you're bringing in, Devin. And so I really want to talk about your current digital strategy and its specific approach to this cause, because I really think there's a lot of nonprofits out there um, who could get something out of this and maybe figure out how to leverage um, these opportunities that you all are leveraging. So talk a little bit about that digital strategy. Sure. Um, we So I'll tell you two things. It's scrappy and it's resourcefulness. That is exactly yeah. what it is. Two of our favorite things. I will, <laughs> it, we will use anyone um, and, and Alphonsine will tell you, I will pull from all corners of life to help me get this done. <laughs> um, we have recruited so much great talent across um just our agencies, our, our friends, our family, um, people in my team and other teams across Cisco um, who frankly are just excited to, to give themselves over to something that isn't, especially over the last year. You know, we've been all been working a lot. This gave us a break from, from a lot of what we were doing day to day and allowed people to give back um, in a meaningful way. So I would say our digital strategy, again, is very scrappy. It's very resourceful. We are pulling on friends and family to give us free Facebook ads um, <laughs> to, you know, we will pull on anyone. Um, and I would say that the team themselves are very good at just reaching out and being unafraid of asking for help, asking for volunteers, asking for a chance to tell our story um, with Rising Above the Storms. We also have been really clear on starting with our audience. Who are the people that are interested, who are dedicating their lives to, to nonprofits, to giving back to the world, and really honing in on how do we market to them? Um, we also have done a really, I think, brilliant job with Alphonsine's um, social awareness and, and the campaigns we're doing in, in the social sphere. This is where people are living and breathing right now. So we had to navigate that world very quickly. Um, and start to show the, the brilliance and the, just the love of these children. When you look at their faces on these social, it, it lightens up my day. I, I could yeah. scroll through Alphonsine's social um, media all day because they're beautiful children who are so innocent and kind and just want to be a kid, get out and play soccer. And you don't realize that these things are, they're deprived of on a daily basis. So um, that is one area where we've really focused. We've also, and as you guys have noticed, you've probably been to the website, it is, it's slow moving. And so one of the things that we've prioritized over the last year is really moving that infrastructure over to something where we could have that website load a lot faster and get those donations pouring in. We didn't um, even notice because we were so drawn in by the photography. Yeah, the storytelling <laughs> so, and the imagery yeah, were enough beautiful. for us. We didn't yeah. notice and we wouldn't have judged if we had. We, <laughs> we have a double hustle too. We get it. Um, we also, during this last year, uh, knew that we needed to realign. We couldn't host our normal galas or fundraising events. So we moved into the digital space fairly quickly um, and I'll just, I'll, I'll give the uh, virtual experience team at Cisco a lot of credit because they took something that we had built for Cisco events and they allowed us to utilize it for this virtual uh, fundraising event for Alphonsine um, and, the, and the rising above the storms. And we had volunteers from all over the world chip in that day and we did much like this, a little podcast um, where we got to showcase the board members, what Alphonsine is doing, what we needed from folks. And um, it was super well received, raised a, a good bit of money. And we will continue to do that over the course of COVID, obviously. 
um, yeah, those are those are a lot of the things that we had to really pivot on this past year, especially. Um, and and I would say also the way that we took care of the children um, very quickly. Alphonsine and the board had to make decisions around how we were going to feed these children as they weren't allowed at the center anymore, right? So how do we pivot our funds from taking care of the center and the operations to how do we get meals to these children's doorsteps um, and, and their families? So that was one thing that we, we quickly migrated over to, as well as some other um, ideas that we have yet to implement but, but are working towards. So yeah, it's been a lot of, um, again, scrappy and resourceful thinking across the team. We love it. Well, I want to call out a couple of things that you said are a, yeah. certainly a trend that I think um, everybody needs to be looking at in nonprofits is that we just had a conversation with Susan McPherson and the way we all think about corporate partnerships is wrong. I mean, it's not just going and getting the gala table. You can do that. That's fine. But I love that the talent and the brains and the hearts of the people in that company of Cisco is the heartbeat of these connections. I mean, it's so much more valuable than table sponsorship. That's one. Two is this, there was this technology partnership that was an easy, probably yes no for brainer. Cisco when yep. it's something that could have cost thousands of dollars to execute on the organization side. So I love creative partnerships and I love advocating that we don't always need to just ask for money. We need to ask to partner, like truly partner, like what can you do? Um, so love that y'all are living and breathing that. Um, okay, I would love to kind of, close the loop on what the organization's doing now. Cause we kind of hit on this, but I feel like you've got some cogs in there of, you know, doing some advocacy for orphans, but also providing some tangible needs and resources. Could you kind of give us a snapshot of that? And I'd love for you to each to share maybe a story of somebody you've served that's, that's struck a chord and stuck with you as well. You want to start with Alphonsine? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really wanted to add to everything you just mentioned and, and Devin, um, that I'm really, really grateful for Cisco. I know that you called it out, but uh, I don't know what I would have done uh, without being at Cisco with the nonprofit from the talents and uh, everyone who has rolled their sleeves and and that's a Cisco culture. When you reach out and be like, hey, can I get help from this? And everyone just pours in. So to that extent, I'm really, really grateful um, to people like Devin who has and, and the board who would be, uh, what I love about her, wanted to mention it here, she's, um, when she says, I'm on it. And that's, I love that. She, you know, I say, ah, I would be good to it. She's like, I'm on it. And when she says I'm on it, she gets things done. I mean, that's something that I've always felt at peace knowing that she, you know, when she says I'm on it, she's on it. So things like that. And, um, you know, just I'm really grateful for that. Um, what we have been doing is that this year and obviously last year has really changed the course of how a lot of nonprofits do things. Mm -hmm. And that includes us um, where uh, COVID has changed everything around. Uh, kids are out of school. So Devin mentioned about feeding them. Um, this year is the year that we are focusing on recovery. Uh, of our kids, which the kids that we are working with specifically in Rwanda are street kids. Mm -hmm. So we absolutely focus on uh, at-risk 
uh, children. That's really our major focus, whatever umbrella that uh, they fall under, as long as that's the category. They could be orphans, they could be street kids, they could be um, other other categories that would come across. But uh, so these kids are out of school right now as the country just uh, entered another total lockdown. Uh, so things that really are not uh, necessarily spanning out the way we want, but there's really not much the whole that can, can do at the moment. So our plan this year that we are activating a pilot for uh, what we call a recovery year. Um, what do we do? Uh, forget about a five-year, two-year plan. Uh, right. How do we get our kids to uh, almost like survive. How do we make sure that uh, they are fed right now? How do we make sure that when it, they return to school, uh, since they're really way behind and they don't have a technology at home, uh, those are people who cannot afford food. You can't Im imagine that they would have a laptop, no such or thing. So, access to internet. Internet, uh, exactly. It's non-existent. Exactly. So how do you... Uh, everything we are doing around this is to get these kids. How do we help them uh, get back in school and be able to thrive in school uh, and be able to, to do that? And also figuring out how we, we just build a sustainable uh, a, a foundation for them to, you know, to, stri to strive and uh, not just focusing, oh, you get food or you just go back to, you go to school and you do it in school. How about the future? How does the future look like? Those who graduated from high school are not college material. What do we do for them afterwards? So things like vocation trainings, it's something that uh, our board is really focusing on to develop for those kids. What can they do? What are the professions that they can uh, engage in and what are the skills that we can help them develop for the future. That's, those are some of the few things we're focusing on among other things. Um, Devin, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, when we first started the board, we were, we were gung-ho thinking about that five-year vision, where we wanted to be, how many children we would be helping. When COVID hit, it really um, it not only rocked our world, I think, you know, here in the States and globally, but especially for the nonprofit and these children who have limited access to opportunity already, um, but also struggle with basic needs and, and you know, um, basic human rights, frankly. So really it was, how do we get them, how do we sustain them to the point of now we can start to, to allow them to thrive and rebuild um, as they, they do get into a recovery state of, of returning to school. We take for granted, and I, I told Alphonsine this before, the moment um, we were all planning this wonderful trip to um, Rwanda to set up our, the library at the center, to set up several facilities for the kids. Um, and that all changed when we couldn't travel. So I, I told Melvin Zine, I said, soon as we're able to go, my children, my my two boys are coming with me because they are going to see <laughs> yeah. what it, how fortunate they are um, in, in this world and what they have access to. You know, while my son is, um, you know, angry because he can't play Fortnite and he has to get on a Zoom call um, for school, um, he will just quickly realize how fortunate he is to have things like that and access, um, frankly, just to internet. I mean, my kids get mad if they don't have internet in the car, right? Isn't it um, hilarious, our kids' dependency on Wi-Fi? It's insane it's for this generation. It's true. It's true. So um, we have a lot of work to do, and I think we've, we've 
come back from a five-year vision to, okay, let's focus, let's get through this, and then we'll revisit. And I, I think that's the right strategy, frankly, for any nonprofit at this moment in time. I, I agree with you because I think if you had a five-year strategy or a playbook pre-pandemic, everything is out the window at this point. Yeah. And right now, um, I mean, safety and survival and sustainability, you know, have got to be the core. And I, yeah. I, you know, you launched this program in January, you know, it was four years ago and you yeah. had 10 kids and, and now you're, you're just scaling and growing. And I, and I think the thing that is so inspiring to me is it's not like you're just educating them. You're not just feeding them. I mean, it's all the things that come with being a street kid. And I, and uh, and clothing and you can you give counseling to them which I mean, we are yeah. we are huge advocates of the mental health space and big believers in counseling and I can't imagine the trauma you know of not only living on the street but just trying to survive and feed yourself uh, much less you're not thinking about education you're thinking about today and I don't want to be hungry so I just really am impressed by everything you're doing from uniforms to trainings and everything it's just I can imagine there's just so many children's faces who are popping up in your mind that you're helping and I and I'm curious if you would each tell us a story um, it doesn't have to necessarily you know, be about a child right now, but we would, we would love to know about a moment with this nonprofit that has changed you. And I would love to start with Alphonsine about a moment that, or a story that sticks out to you. Yeah, I think there are really so many that I can count um, that I could easily be able to do, to talk about if I had hours, but they're really uh, something that I wanted to add to that and it tied to the kids and and what my vision has been with these kids. Um, as I started out when I was mentioning how um, it was a director of admissions at RIT uh, who the first quarter, by the way, I didn't speak really English. I could read and write a little bit, but I couldn't speak. So I had to learn English really quickly uh, my first quarter at RIT. And and then in my very first, uh, they, they had, a, had a quarter system. Uh, and uh, the first quarter in grad school and, and uh, when I just learned English, I had a 4.0 GPA uh, in my very first full-time uh, courses as a graduate student. And um, I had to send my grades to sponsors because I was a fully sponsored uh, to my sponsors and including them was the director of graduate uh, um, studies. And uh, I remember uh, um, her name was Ellison. She responded to an email. She said, Alfonsin, I can't tell you how proud I am of you. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never been told anything like that, um, it, you know, <sighs> since I lost my parents. My parents were the people who would tell me that they're proud. So I've never been proud, told that. Um, that moment really marked my life. Uh, how I kept thinking about it. Just think of something simple you say, and you don't know what impact that has. I still carry it, and it's like been, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And um, and uh, my goal at the center is that these kids are not just given a chance to go to school or to be counseled. I want them to know that they are loved. I want to know them to know that they can be uh, anybody. You know, if they just like if 
they work hard, if they try things, if they hang in there, that they can be whoever they want to be. Because that's that's something that, you know, it really changed my life to think and, uh, and feel that way. So I want the kids to be told that we are proud of them, that uh, I'm proud of who they have become and who they would be. I'm excited to see what they would be. Uh, they would be able to accomplish because that's something that determined that specific simple word from um, from the the director of graduate studies really changed and it gave me an idea on what I want these kids to be. Mm. I mean, Love that you. is something so unique to your story that you're able to serve in a different capacity than what we would even imagine or dream because of that. And I think you're meeting those kids in such a deep way to even in how we talk that I love that that's part of your program. Devin, what about you? Oh, I, I have, I have two, one is very specific to, um, rising above the storms, but, um, it was early on in, in my, um, entrance into the, to the board. This is first time being on a board. So, Really, and it is truly um, a bunch of us women kind of working together. We didn't know what a board's supposed to do, what decisions <laughs> we're supposed to make. Like, we're just, we need to get things done, right? Um, I remember Alphonsine taking a trip to Rwanda with um, with her husband and, and with laptops and um, was setting up the first um, center there so that the kids could, uh, could get on and actually work on a computer, work you know, see the world through, through technology. And you saw their faces in these pictures and I couldn't be there in person, but Mm. just to see how excited and amazed they were that they had access to this type of technology that we take so for granted um, was, it, it really truly brought tears to your eyes because these kids are so grateful and humbled in the same way that, that Alphonsine shows up every day and she's had to go through um, so I, I think that was one moment for me where I said, I am in the right place and I'm doing the right thing for, for not for Alphonsine, but also these, these children. So, um, yeah, I'm very fortunate um, to be part of this organization. I would say my other um, one is for the last two years, um, my, I have done something with my children, which is um, make um, sanitary or hygiene kits for homeless um, in the Bay Area and the things we had to put in these kits. And while we had a, you know, a very um, kind of a line going down my, my kitchen counter with the kids helping me put in basic sanitary hygiene needs, toothbrush, toothpaste, underwear for women, like they, we looked at these bags that we had created and at the end of the day, um, and my kids were like, wow, these people don't have this mom can I can give my toothbrush or I can give this and I just thought this was this is what I wanted for them this is what I wanted them to feel and to see so that's another moment for me where I um I take pride in in the fact that um I can bring my children along this journey with me in giving back so um yeah Oh, you know, we love that story. Oh, we, we love to sit in the space of children have a really important role to play in philanthropy. And if it's nothing more than building empathy for other people and the ability to sit down with a stranger and know their story, because it's going to be entirely different than yours, um, and seeing your worldview expand, it's going to make us better humans. It's going to make us give us bigger hearts. And I believe in the end, it's going to fill our cups 
a lot more than if we're just sitting there playing Fortnite or with my kids <laughs> Mario Kart. So, so I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So our famous last question, I can't wait to soak up this wisdom, but we ask everybody what's one good thing. And we define that as, you know, maybe a secret uh, to your success or a good habit or something that you could implement today. Uh, so Alphonsine, would you start us? Absolutely. I think one simple thing that I can say is that um, we, our goal, you don't have to change the world. You don't have to change uh, a town. You know, I, I just feel like starting by just have an impact on one person. Just make mm -hmm. it one goal to have an impact on one person. You don't have to give them money. It's not about doing something big. It's just, uh, it's a smile. It could be an encouragement or something like, a, a, you know, a word of encouragement. Just make it a goal to be, uh, a, to have an impact, positive impact to, to just one person. That's all it takes. Or tell them you're proud of them. Or tell them oh. how smart they are. Or tell them that they are loved. I think you are living that. So that was a great one good thing from you. What about you, Devin? I'm going to be the sales and marketing person here. Um, <laughs> here for it. <laughs> and, and tips to the, be vulnerable, share, um, share your story. I know it's hard sometimes, but be vulnerable and share it with as many people as you possibly can. Um, networking is probably the single most important thing you'll ever do in trying to get um, the support and, and just knowledge and awareness out there of, of what you're trying to do. So yeah, be vulnerable and, and network. I love that. I was kind of thinking you're going to say go to cisco.com and set up. A <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Hey, I, I am that. a big Cisco fan after yeah. this conversation. Seriously. I love how they've poured in cuz I honestly while you were talking about Cisco, I just had to like go back in my mind the last 10 months and I just think about all of us trying to even just in the states like trying to endure this pandemic and just the the depressive quality that comes with just being not together and locked out and I can imagine Cisco coming through and saying we have something you could pour yourself into that feels good and we need people with tech that could do it and I just think how much that must have been as much a blessing to them as it was to your organization to be able to be that positive change. So I love that Cisco led that. I want you to tell our listeners how they can connect with you. What do you need as a nonprofit? Are you needing volunteers? I'm sure you're needing donations. And where can they find you? Where are you on social? Absolutely. I can start as um, risingabovethestorms.org. Uh, it's our website. So that's the really good resource. And we are on all social media, Instagram, uh, uh, Twitter. We are on Facebook. Uh, we share a lot of uh, everything that we are doing. So uh, we have multiple campaigns going on and uh, we are trying to really, like as we mentioned, uh, a year of recovery. We are set to make sure that these kids are not left behind because of the pandemic. Um, because they don't have a chance, as a good chance as we we all have to have a computer. I have multiple in my house. I have a fast, you know, running internet. So how can we make it that they feel that someone cared and that they are uh, way 
in the same category in terms of knowledge and and uh, you know in this new year as they are going and coping coping with the pandemic. So I think that um, we are always in need for uh, you know volunteers, and we have it posted on our website and and the social media. We do share it, uh, but we do need donations. We that's how we do what we do. So please do that on our website, uh, risingabovethestorms.org. One really simple way to help, um, and it, you know, is your smile.amazon.com. So don't shop on Amazon anymore. Go to smile.amazon.com and you can put in Rising Above the Storms as the charity that will get a donation um, based on the amount that you spend. It's, it comes from Amazon. It's a great way to contribute. If you don't have a lot, um, they'll do it on your behalf just by choosing Rising Above the Storms. Um, I've been doing it for two years and I can see how much I've given back, um, which, which feels great. That's awesome. You guys well, are so awesome. Yeah, we've loved this conversation and goodness, we've kept y'all so long, but thank you for your, um, just what you're doing and paying your story forward. It's been just an honor. Thank you for what you guys are doing. This is amazing here, what yes. you're putting together and helping nonprofits. It's just beautiful. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I, I heard something this week and I've actually been thinking about it the whole time that we were talking. And so I just, I just want to share it real quick because I want to put it out as a challenge to everybody. I was listening to Melinda Gates on a podcast and she, I just love her. She's so smart and she's so compassionate. She just cares about women. And she explained the family unit as like a mobile hanging above a crib and she says, when everyone's in perfect balance, like the mobile works and everything's in harmony. But the second that one person in the family, you know, is off balance and starts to slide down, the entire family is off kilter. And she talked about this applies for our world in, in like the most vulnerable among us. If any of us are pulled down, then the rest of us are off kilter. So my challenge to everyone listening today is... This is something in the world where someone is off kilter. If you have the capacity to come in and and write somebody, write the mobile. If you are a citizen, we are all citizens of the world. If you are someone who believes in humanity and compassion, pour into this nonprofit, pour into a nonprofit that needs you and set that mobile back and let's all be balanced. Thank you, guys. Honor, guys. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much for having us. This is really, really uh, amazing, and we are grateful for your time and for our ability to be able to share about rising above the storms and uh, the amazing work that you guys are doing to get those, uh, you know, initiatives out. Because this day and the technology is what we uh, really just—it's making a difference. So using the technology, using your voice uh, to be able to to get and amplify this. It means the world to us. So thank you. Well, you thank filled you our cups too. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's conversation. We hope Alphonsine's story inspired you to consider how you could be a light to others, whether in Rwanda or simply in your community. You hear it in our voices, I hope, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. Did you know every Monday we send a weekly roundup of our best content and resources to our good community? Sign up for free at weareforgood.com slash hello. And one more thing, if you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find this community. Thanks so much, friends. Our production hero is the person who has a huge heart for African causes, Julie Confer. Hello. And our theme song is Sunray by Rain Boys Boom.
Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.